0: Welcome to Great Move North. If you're just looking, just wondering, or even just about to do it, then this just might be the place to start. We meet the people who've taken a leap of faith and jumped. As they land, there's challenges, sometimes despair, often followed by smiles and silent amazement at the sights now surrounding them. It took one birthday card, a 20,000-mile round trip, and a deep personal tragedy, for Kay Backhouse to finally find herself. The card's hidden message changed her life forever. She began an odyssey, taking her around the world, creating a life she'd never imagined. Kay spoke to me about that card. So we're talking about your story and how you've got to this extraordinary place, a successful business against all odds, given everything that's happened in the last 18 months how is it that we're sitting here with a successful business that has survived despite everything
1: that's a really big question (laughs) so i'll try and answer it the best way i can Um, the business is as you say successful we've done amazing things here but there's a lot behind it Um, and how we've ended up here and how we've survived the last 18 months. It's been a difficult time for lots and lots of businesses. Um, And the story, I guess I've got to start with um, how Sydney's came about. Um, So back in 2011, my younger brother was diagnosed with a really rare form of cancer. Um, I was living in Australia at the time, and I had lots of conversations about coming home, but it didn't happen for for different reasons for quite a few years. Um, I had a whole life over there, brought my children up over there, me and my husband. And in 2017, um, one birthday, um, I had a birthday in July, and I received a birthday card from my brother, which was... Extremely Well, it was totally rare. He'd never sent me one his whole adult life. Um, And he sent me this card. We'd been having lots of conversations about coming back to the UK. Um, But it's a a massive, massive undertaking to pack your life up again. And we had great jobs and a great life over there. But I received this card on my birthday, um, which was quite a shock. And essentially, he asked me to come home, um, which was... I mean, it was quite moving at the time because I'd been thinking about it and it forced me into action, basically.
0: And it was the first time your brother had ever sent you a birthday card yeah. as an adult?
1: Yeah. He didn't do birthdays. He he always said they were stupid. He didn't understand why anyone would need to celebrate the day they were born. They didn't do anything. So <laughs> what was worth celebrating? <laughs> so he, he just, he never, ever did birthdays. He thought that, 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 so it was really, like to me, it was a, cry for help or it was a call for me to come home and it was a direct ask, it was his way of directly asking me. So he had some idea in his head of he needed me to come home for some reason. He didn't outwardly say why um, at that time but it turned out later on um he, he said he wanted me to come home because he felt he needed to do something with me. We had a life plan, some kind of life journey together, which we'd already been partly on, but he felt we couldn't do it anymore from one side of the world to the other. Um, so he directly asked me to come back.
0: But you'd already started your life journey. You were there in Australia yep. with your husband, with your yep. family. Yeah. You had a career. Mm-hmm. You're all set. Yes, yep. it's very sad that you... Brother, who you have been close to yeah. was unwell. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is when this birthday card landed, you decided to come back and abandon all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had probably one conversation after I got that card with my husband and he just looked at me, he said, you don't need to ask me. I can see that you've made your mind up. So, So we decided as a family there and then to pack up. And it was it was very, very challenging. It was not easy at all, and it's very costly to anyone who knows who's moved from one side of the world to the other. And we'd done it once already. it was it was not I say it's not a decision taken lightly, but as soon as I got that card, it was just that was it. So fast forward. Um, we landed back here in the UK six months um, after that birthday card. And approximately six months after that, I found myself very unhappy in my work. Um, spending time with my brother was getting more and more important to me. And we just started having open conversations about life's too short, what sh- what could we be doing? I don't want to work for somebody else my whole life. I want to be in charge of my own destiny. We co- talked a lot about the fact that we couldn't find anywhere good to eat. <laughs> um, me and my brother loved going out for lunches. That's That was our favourite thing to do together. And we went lots of places, and we b- both kept saying, God, I'd, I'd love to do something like this. I think we could do a really good job of it. It started as a joke, really, just joke conversations. Um, and then my job got so unbearable stress wise Um, I came home from work one day and was quite distressed after a stressful day at work and my husband said I want you to hand your notice in, I want you to leave and I said well I don't have a job to go to, he said I don't care, it's not worth you feeling this way, he said I want you to take a couple of months off and I want you to spend some time with your brother and just do that and we'll, we'll work it out financially don't worry about it So that's what I did. I resigned from my job um, and I spent three months with my brother, um, which was amazing. Um, Anyone who's managed to be able to have a set section of time off, which is quite extended from work, regardless, I think, even whether you like your job or not, um, it gives you an awful lot of time to reflect on what it is that you do want and what it is that you don't want. And we did that in that time and we... Sat one day saying, "This, you know, we, we could do something together. This is this is real. We could actually do something."
0: But it, he was quite ill. He was quite ill at this yeah, point. Yeah,
1: he was. He was quite ill, but we didn't know um, just how ill he actually was at that point. So, to put it into context, he'd been ill for seven years. Um, I'd never lost faith or hope in him continuing to live for a really long time. Um, He had gotten to a point where his cancer had actually gone. He he had a scan and it showed that it it had gone, or it was very small. What we didn't know was that it had grown back at quite a rapid rate, but at that stage we, we weren't actually aware of that. All I knew was he was quite tired a lot of the time, so he wouldn't go he would never complain and he would never say he he wouldn't say i can't do this or i can't do that i just instinctively knew so and
0: you were spending time in your kind of your childhood haunts around this part of the world that you love so much yes you were this was priceless time for you and what was it that you um found that brought you to this point
1: So one day we were sitting in a very small place in the Yorkshire Dales called Malham, which is where we went to school as kids. um, And we'd been for a walk and we sat under a tree, and it was a really nice day. And we both started talking about Settle, and we started talking about how much we love Settle and how there hadn't been a place in Settle for quite a number of years that was really really fantastic with food and we just started this snowballing conversation and it all just started to make sense that settle was a ideal place it was missing something like that so we started to look at places in settle
0: but just wishful thinking really
1: really wishful thinking and i always had the type of person I will now say I was not the type of person I am now, but I was definitely someone who feared risk. I I wasn't someone who took big risks. I was very much pushed by my husband, thankfully, Um, but I was not a natural risk taker. And neither was my brother, neither of us were, but he had a little bit of money to one side, he was the introvert, I was the extrovert. We started to realise that the balance of the two of us could actually work quite well together. He could work behind the scenes, I could work at the front. So, But it was very much just us having a conversation. And then he got a message from his friend letting him know that he'd heard on the grapevine that somewhere was coming up for rent in Settle.
0: OK. And was that somewhere the place that we're sitting in now? It is. But this place was, correct me if I'm wrong, um, a kind of TV and white goods place, selling washing machines and radios and (laughs) anything but a restaurant.
1: Yes, didn't even look like a restaurant at all. Um, And it wasn't on the market. And we knew the person that owned the building had been here for a very long time with his family. So we didn't even know if that would work and he hadn't even put it on the market. So tell so me, what, what, what happened? My brother, weirdly, randomly, <laughs> just said, let's go in. And I said, really? <laughs> because it's just not... that. I was not him at all. And I, I don't know, I was just kind of waddling behind him, thinking, OK, I'll just go with this madness for a while. And he walked straight up to um, the guy who owns the building and directly introduced himself and again it was just weird he was just he was such a private introverted person wasn't like him and we stood and talked to him for I would probably say 20 minutes and he was in the middle of serving someone at the shop it wasn't like he knew we were coming there wasn't a meeting arranged and we stood for about 20 minutes had this conversation told him the story My brother really talked about his illness as well, which surprised me that he was talking openly about his illness. Um, And he just was acting like he really wanted this. And I, part of me, was thinking, but do we really want this? I'm not sure now. And um, we left that day and the following week, we pretty much had agreement from the owner that, it wasn't even going on the market. And it was really exactly what he was looking for. So there's all the legality stuff that happened for a few months. But in that time, I talked to my husband about it, obviously. um, And he has building trade background. So he was obviously really interested to look at the plans and what we were thinking of. And then suddenly he was involved as well, which was fantastic, but he had a full-time job. This wasn't anything to do with him at the time. And, um, but he was so passionate about what we were trying to achieve, he wanted in on it, he wanted some involvement, which was great because we kind of needed his mind anyway. Um, and then we just, he, he started to almost project manage. He, my husband, would come because my brother was the background guy, he didn't really want to be out the front. Um, he would come, my husband would come and meet the owner walk around the building, meet the architects, talk about the decor, talk about the furniture, and then we just started that process, putting things together. Now, at the same time, my brother's health started to decline um, to the point where in actual fact, when we did the final signing for here um, and also the financial side of commitment to, to, to Sydney's, was um, done from a hospital bed, yeah. Okay. So we actually had to... So his health started to decline quite quickly. Um,
0: easy, easy then to have pulled the plug at that point?
1: 100%. I nearly did.
0: And what kept you going?
1: Um, I could see, because his health was declining, it then became about his legacy and his vision becoming a reality
0: because this isn't this isn't a restaurant this isn't like the restaurants that you were talking about in the past and this isn't like a traditional pub no pub closes in yorkshire not a story this place whatever it is bar bistro yeah extraordinary it's a little bit different was that sydney's vision
1: yeah completely The minute we walked in this building, we walked around each room and we could see and talk about already what we wanted. And every room having a different feel. Not every room looking the same. Not clinical, not pretentious, relaxed. A relaxed feeling, a warm feeling, a a place with soul is what what Sydney's was to embody.
0: And Sydney himself, his health continued to deteriorate. Yeah towards the point when you were opening?
1: Yeah, so his health really started to deteriorate badly in October 2018. Um, And we opened... We didn't open until the following July, um, which which was on time, regardless of his health. that, That was kind of how long we expected it to take before we opened. But his health declining in October then led to my husband having surgery in the January 2019 and it went seriously wrong Um, and he ended up with sepsis at the same time my brother was in the hospice in his final weeks at the other side of the well a different county (laughs) while I was still working full-time and managing the the project with Sydney's.
0: So let's get this straight. <laughs> your husband's in ITU because the surgery's gone wrong. Yeah. Your brother's in a hospice. You're in a job that you don't want to really be in. No. And your heart, and you've talked about your soul, is in yeah. this project. Yeah. This is before the pandemic. Yeah. So how on earth did it happen? How did you manage to get it over the line? Uh,
1: the way... The, my first reaction to that question is the way it got over the line was faith really, just having faith it was gonna work out. I started to take one day at a time. I think I was very much in um, survival mode at that time. I was very much in survival mode. I was it's actually quite hard now to look back at that time and remember in detail. I can remember certain parts of it in detail but quite a lot of it not, because when you're in that fire or flight mode 24-7 for really two months there, two solid months, uh, and I was dr- my, my job was driving. I used to drive 100 miles a day while still doing all of that and going to my husband in the afternoon and then going to my brother at night, and I'd never missed a day. Or if I did, it was because I absolutely couldn't help it because I had some other commitment. I was in, yeah, I was in survival mode. I think human beings are extremely resilient.
0: And what I've, was Sydney's role in terms of maintaining an involvement in the project while he was in the hospice?
1: He was unbelievable because even though he physically couldn't be here, he was, his best friend from the age of four was the joiner here as well. He did the joinery. And he actually built the bar here for Sid, for my brother. Um, as a a gift, so it was a bespoke bar just for here that was for him. And so he would be messaging his friend all the time from his bed, he would be messaging me from his bed. His phone was kind of his life at that time and everything he would do was... So he'd be sending me messages with ideas, he'd be sending my husband messages.
0: What sort of ideas about, what, the menu, the decor? yeah,
1: Yeah, all of that. Photos of ideas he had, everything. So his involvement was very much... He didn't stop his involvement until, I would say, the end of January.
0: So naming it in his memory...
1: That was the kind of the last thing he had to do with it, which he had nothing to do with the name. He just... That was the last time we talked about it. So there came a point in... You know, he was actively dying at that time, and we all knew, and... As a family, we talked very openly about about that. We, we didn't skirt around anything and it was very difficult, but we got to a stage where I said, I'm not gonna to talk to you about this anymore because I, th- I think this is a time we need to stop. And he agreed. The Sydney's name was the classic cliche, came in the middle of the night in my head. And, and I woke up and thought, ah, that's it.
0: And what about turning points in your life Were they all in the middle of the night? Or the (laughs) birthday card arriving out of the blue? What was the critical decision point, looking back on all these extraordinary steps?
1: Um, Yeah, because there are a lot. I've had quite, I would say my turning points in my life, the big ones really have been in the last 10 years of my life. Um, I think the 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 fire, vi- the well, the the turning point, which is the most recent for me, was actually after after his, his death, really, which is my life changed because it's had to.
0: And you were um, open then.
1: No, we weren't open. When he died, we weren't open. We opened in the July. So, when, mm. after, he, after he died, um, I f- couldn't come to Sydney's at okay. all for two months.
0: Right, right.
1: Emotionally, I couldn't step foot in the building. It, it was it was just too too overwhelming, too connected to my brother, too soon. And my husband carried the load. He just carried everything. He finished here. Right. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. OK.
0: So it's a series of decisions, a series of turning points. We talk about T-junctions. Yeah. That going to Australia, coming back, what was the critical moment? What was the key T-junction for you?
1: Um, coming back... Um well it was it was the it was the birthday card. That that was the if I had to pick a critical moment, that was it.
0: And then this place takes off. It's a success.
1: Instantly. Instantly.
0: Clearly fills a gap that you and your brother had talked about.
1: Everybody, the first night, the thing that sticks in my head, the first night we opened everybody kept coming up to me and it was almost like someone had given them a script (laughs) and they kept coming up to me and saying this is just what settle needed just what settle needed and people kept repeating it but it was to the point where it felt like a tagline we needed to mark it (laughs) because people were repeating it so people still say it now it's just what settle needed and it was kind of that validation of yes you you listened to you listen to your heart and realize that that's that is what settle needed and you created what settle needed but it was created from a place of meaning and purpose it wasn't just created as a money-making business That's not not what we were about not what my brother's about not what we're about now um and i think There is just purely having the faith in things working out is why we're still here after the past 18 months of COVID.
0: And you've talked a lot, very frankly, about fear and risk and you've just talked now about your head and your heart driving these decisions. Put them in order. What matters most?
1: What matters most is... ..your gut instinct matters the most. I've looked back and reflected on times I've not listened to it, and it doesn't. It hasn't worked, or eventually, it hasn't worked. That's so the fear creeping in. Totally, the fear. The mind takes over.
0: So is the gut more than resilience? The
1: guts, the gut is is what I call faith. It's it's what it's the you know people talk about religion and God and you call it what you want, but there's something bigger than us. And I do feel that that energy is when you feel it in your gut. That's what that energy is.
0: And the reaction from your heart, in business terms, has been also to make a contribution back to the place where Sydney's passed away. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, to so Mana Lands Hospice. Um, so we have a, a, an affiliation with Mana Lands ongoing, not just... The business but within our family so obviously Covid has interfered quite a lot with that because um, business hasn't been brilliant um, as it hasn't been for ev- anybody but our commitment to donating what we can to Manor Lands and assisting them, we things like we give vouchers for raffles that they use to raise money we, we had booked before Covid a charity event Where the proceeds were to go to Manorlands, which we would host here. Um, We've had several connections with with Manorlands, and our family will always be in connection with Manorlands. The work that they do is amazing. And and he didn't, you know, we as a family, we didn't have to pay for Sid to go there. And to have that care and support without that, it would have been horrendous.
0: Now you, talked about, you talked about BC, before COVID, and yeah. as you rightly say, all people in your types of business and many other sectors have been knocked completely sideways. Yeah. Many haven't survived. Many are on the brink. Some listening to this will be looking for the clue to that survival. So three strikes in terms of lockdowns. <laughs> Is that what it's felt like for you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, reopening this time has felt like a last chance saloon. (laughs) Yeah, it's very much um, the stop-start process with lockdowns is extremely costly to businesses and it's impacted us um, financially Is the obvious, but the not-so-obvious but is definitely as much of an impact as the financial is the psychological effect it's had. Um, so if, I don't think people have necessarily appreciated how difficult it is to reopen a hospitality business in, this, in these circumstances with the restrictions that we're under and the stop-start goalpost moving that we get from the government 24-7. Um, trying to keep staff morale up, stop them from being overwhelmed. Um, by trying to remember all the things they need to be doing, and we're quite lucky here, I think. We've got really, really kind customers that come in, but we have another hospitality business, and it, it's because it, some customers are very unforgiving, um, and a lot of staff have left the industry.
0: So, the emotional, psychological element mm. as tough, tougher than the logistical and the financial mm. blows.
1: As tough. As tough, because at, at ty- after the first lockdown, it wasn't the financial that was making me want to give in. It was the emotional and psychological that was wanting me to give in.
0: How do you hold that tension, <clears throat> the emotional and the practicalities? How do you keep that tension?
1: Um, for me... Um, and I can only speak of my experience but mine was to pick up the phone and speak to my dad speak to people I love and trust um, to get the feelings and thoughts out of my head to help make sense of what I was saying to not react in the emotional moment um, to take a step back and look at things from a factual point of view Um, so the financial and logistics were overwhelming to deal with because obviously no one had dealt with this before no one's dealt with applying for government grants no one's dealt with you know we were we were learning on the spot um which for me and my husband was highly stressful and we didn't know at that time in the first lockdown what how we were going to be supported financially so it was kind of a need a very easy knee jerk moment to god you know what this is too hard but after speaking with my dad i was able to Take a breath, have a cry, think about where we could go and how we could. And then I just had the instinctive, no, I'm not giving up here. I, we have worked so damn hard and I've lost my brother and nearly lost my husband at the same time. I've been through worse than this. Nothing is harder than that, nothing.
0: You're gonna survive?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: What does the future hold?
1: Um, I'd love to have another Sydney's. <laughs> I'd love to see his name elsewhere. Um, the future... I'm writing a book. I'm exploring things on a personal level that I've never explored before. Um, I'm finding meaning in my life without my brother. My life's had to change. I've had to accept I'm not the same person. That anyone who's lost someone that they love who's extremely close to them will relate to that, I'm sure. I've, you, you're not the same person ever again. But you either accept that and find a way to live a full life beyond that tragic circumstance, or my other option was to curl up and die in a corner, and I couldn't do that. I've got too much to live for, and my brother wouldn't be very happy with me if I did that.
0: Okay, Backhouse, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.